All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I'm your host, Jax McDonald. With me, as always, it's Fiasteran. Hello. And Elliot Hoyt. How are you guys doing this week? Oh, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, not much is new, though, because nothing's ever new in these COVID times. But yeah. It is January 93rd. <laughs> going <laughs> yes. great. We are recording on the evening of January 31st, Sunday. As of, uh, as of date of recording, the Canucks have just finished off a pretty successful four-game stint, first against the Ottawa Senators and then later the Winnipeg Jets. And, man, Nolan Patrick has a lady haircut. What? He has like hair like a girl. Why, where are you seeing this? I'm just watching the game on in the background. I'm sorry. This is a really <laughs> bad idea. I'm going to turn it off now so that that doesn't happen again. Uh, we will get to the Canucks game in a little while, but uh, I think the it's only appropriate for us to start we have off. our episode title already? <laughs> with... Uh, if you say anything bad about Nolan Patrick, all of our non-Canucks fans listeners are going to murder us. Oh, no, he looks great. He's just has the I'm starting to it understand. Might listen to us, Elliot. I'm starting to understand Mal's whole thing of like Nolan Patrick is a lesbian because <laughs> I, I understand. Let's just say spiritually looking at him. I understand where that comes from. Anyways, we've gotten way <laughs> off track. Uh, this is <laughs> awesome. What I was to say is that we should uh, start the episode off the way we ended last week's episode, which is by talking about Tony D'Angelo, who uh, this morning uh, tweet came down the wire from Elliot Friedman on waivers. Honestly, last week when we talked about Tony, it was all mostly funny stuff, but uh, not so many funny stories this week, if we're being honest about Tony yeah. D. The one funny thing is obviously that his burner replied to the Elliot Freeman tweet. Yes. I still can't trust it. This is cancel culture. Yes. (laughs) This is cancel culture in action, which honestly, at this point, it is starting to feel a bit too perfect. Yeah. At the same time, based on everything else that we've heard about Tony D'Angelo this week, maybe he really is just that stupid because Mm -hmm. it seems Mm -hmm. like he doesn't exactly have a good head on his shoulders. What do you guys remember about Tony and Tony D'Angelo before, like, if anything, before kind of his uh, recent heel turn MAGA shithead thing? Just a school of Dustin Penner kind of guy. Like, he yeah, just, sure. I just saw him share stuff. I never saw him really comment on stuff. I mean, I mean, like he did his own tweets, but I knew there were some stories from him in junior that he was a shithead, but nothing specific and nothing that really stuck out to me, mostly because I didn't pay attention. Also. Did you see his reply to Elliot Friedman today on the waivers tweet? That was just WTF with a thousand <laughs> question marks. Yeah. That's how he found out. <laughs> that would rock if that's how he found out. I wonder how many players do find out that they're on waivers or have been traded because they follow Elliot Friedman on Twitter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If it was anybody else, that would probably be like the shittiest way to find out. <laughs> yeah. Although with Tony yeah. D, it is clearly the funniest way. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys out. seen the um his like pre-draft video where they interview no. his dad? No. Okay. Hold up. I have to send uh, this to you guys because okay, I want to. I want to talk about it briefly, so I'll send Let's it into see the chat. How far this apple falls from the old tree. You guys can watch it. It's a few minutes long, so I'll have to cut this together. But uh, sure, it's worth it because I think it is very uh, illuminating in terms of kind of uh, how you end up with a guy like this. And we'll talk about sort of what has been alleged about him in a moment, but 
not winning, he has a hard time with that. And his father and I, we talk about it a lot, Luke. We both agree that, you know, those, that's probably his weakness, you know, his ability to deal with failure as a team. Anthony called out a teammate using inappropriate language. It was his second infraction for violating the league's harassment, abuse, and diversity policy. His punishment, an unprecedented eight-game suspension. You know, two words. There's two words that I crossed the line with and, you know, inappropriate comments to, to other players. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's against the league rules and, you know, I had to pay the price for it. Even sometimes when you're right, you can make yourself wrong by the, the choices of words you use. And in that situation, he was wrong and I told him that. You know, I didn't just hurt myself. I didn't hurt the players' feelings. I hurt my team. You know, our chances at the playoff run, you know, because having me out of the lineup, I thought, you know, it hurt. And I think everybody would agree with that. And, but, uh, you know, when you make a mistake like that, the biggest thing you can do is learn from it. And I did. Even though he grew up in South Jersey, Anthony clearly is a byproduct of South Philly, an Italian heritage and a stereotype that comes with this territory. Couple that with a strong-willed father who grew up in the shadows of the spectrum. You know, in a situation where he got suspended, I would have got suspended too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he probably so hears you, me. So you, you, you see yourself saying maybe some of the same things that he has Every said? Every day. Every day. And not that it's right, it's just it's how, I was, it's how I was raised and things I'm used to from my upbringing. You know, you say, Sal, you say the South Philly thing. Some people don't understand. It's a different way of growing up. And it's not always right, but it's, it is what it is. Man, there's so many fan cams of Tony D losing fights on Twitter right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you shared this already. Okay. Wow, I didn't know how much of a Guido he actually looks like. Oh, yeah, he looks like a Jersey Shore shithead. Like... <laughs> Wow. I mean, how dare you besmirch Jersey Shore? <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know that that's what he looks like. <laughs> this guy is like a, a bit actor on The Sopranos. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They send this guy to go get the cannolis. And then, hey, you know, you guys know what I'm having was... for dinner tonight? Just Whoa. by happenstance, not this wasn't intentional. Pasta Putinesca. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I literally almost bought a spicy Italian sandwich because it has like the good gabagool in it. <laughs> Did I tell you once I like during my first Sopranos run, I, I got so hungry watching all the gabagool scenes yeah. and I didn't know what gabagool was. Oh yeah. I just know I wanted <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I want it. <laughs> and so I went to Windsor meets on Maine in 25th. And yeah. I just like asked for, do you guys have any gabagool? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. They're like, you mean Capicolo? I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's what Gabagool is. Uh, all right, are you at the part with uh, with his dad? Have you got there yet? With his dad. Let okay. me get. Let me get there. I'll just jump ahead. The guy in the UA hat is. Oh, this yeah. is his dad. UA hat. Under Armour hat. You call it UA? I've never heard that no. before. I, I've never called it that before in my life. Don't ask why I said it that time. <laughs> So what was this be be because of? So uh, in his draft year, which I believe was 2014, there was an incident where he was oh, suspended <laughs> for he was suspended for eight games in his draft year for violating the NHL's harassment policy because of language he used. But that language was directed towards a teammate, not towards a opponent, mm -hmm, towards mm -hmm. a teammate because the team was losing. Mm. And then his his father, when asked about it in his draft video, is basically like, yeah, I mean, we're from South Philly. 
That's just how we talk. I say the same shit every day. That's how I was raised. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like it, it's it's really not surprising that this kind of thing is happening. He's now worn out his welcome with a third NHL team. And it's very meaningful because he was the fourth highest scoring defenseman in the NHL last year. And yeah, yeah. even in his draft year from like a pure numbers and talent perspective, he was probably the best defense prospect in that draft other than Aaron Eckblad. Wow. But just a horrendous piece of shit as a guy. And I mean, I guess we might as well get into what, what happened. Um, I will just say the way that I knew that he was good was that on my NHL be a pro, um, I ended up playing for the Rangers and Tony D'Angelo was on the ice on like first, first pairing all the time. And I was like, why the fuck is this guy getting so many assists because of me? Like, yeah. Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's just just how I know he's good. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. All right. So just, um, for the sake of, brevity here and so that i don't get anything uh incorrect i've just pulled up the report uh from adam herman of sb nation uh sb nation's mm-hmm. blue shirt banter uh adam is really great and i can see he's already like kind of getting some shit for this because what this is what always happens when uh like a blogger is the first person to report something everyone just assumes they're making it up or they're doing it for attention but Mm -hmm. apparently he has multiple sources that have confirmed all of this stuff so i have no reason not to believe it uh so the article is called report d'angelo georgiev allegedly had altercation following loss versus pittsburgh new york rangers defenseman tony d'angelo got into an altercation with goaltender alexander georgiev following saturday's overtime loss to pittsburgh the athletics rick carpaniello reports the report comes following the Rangers' placing of D'Angelo on waivers Sunday afternoon. Not that Carpaniello needs to be validated, but Blue Shirt Banter has been independently informed of the incident by multiple sources. The incident, which specifically triggered the altercation last night, was possibly a miscommunication that led to Sidney Crosby's overtime goal. However, based on information Blue Shirt Banter has gathered on background for multiple years now, the two were apparently never on the best terms as far back as the 2017-18 season when the two teammates when the two were teammates in Hartford, the AHL affiliate. Furthermore, three separate sources independently confirmed to Blue Shirt Banter that there was concern at various levels of the organization regarding D'Angelo's treatment of rookie defenseman Ke'Andre Miller. It is worth noting for anyone who isn't aware uh, that Ke'Andre Miller is black. Um, That's not in the article. That's just my own context there. Uh, Sources did not wish to go on the record with specific examples, but indicated that it was an issue that caught the attention and ire of multiple players in the organization. Additionally, sources say tension has been building up in the locker room prior to the incident on Saturday night. Since the original publishing of this story, multiple sources confirmed to Blue Shirt Shirt Banter one incident that involved D'Angelo keeping the puck from Miller's first NHL goal scored against the Buffalo Sabres on January 26th. D'Angelo, who was on the ice for Miller's goal, collected the puck from the net as shown in the gift below. And yeah, you can see it. He goes and picks up the puck, and apparently he never gave it to his teammate. D'Angelo, 25, had signed a two-year contract with the Rangers in October. He had been scratched from the lineup for two games by head coach David Quinn earlier in the season following an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the team's opening night loss to the New York Islanders. Uh, It's a developing story, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I wish I had something more funny to say about this, but uh, it's mostly just really horrendous, actually. One thing that that article... 
um, missed. And this part is conjecture. And Adam Herman has said this on Twitter, and it is conjecture, but worth worth noting, anyways. Yeah, that Kendra Miller never actually, like the NY Rangers, never actually posted a photo of Kendra Miller with the his first goal puck. That's right. Yeah, which is really suspect. It's very odd. What we like, know. I can't think of any. And he's a notable rookie too. Yes. Like Keandre mm-hmm. Miller was a high draft pick. He was a guy that people talked about the year he was drafted as like a potential steal, potential like a uh, high value bet to be made when he was going to be available, which was most people assumed like late first, early second. I can't remember where he actually ended up going, but this is a notable rookie that people in New York are really excited about. People around the NHL are excited about. And, you know, you think about like, if Mark Michaelis ever gets into a game for the Canucks and scores his first goal, they're going to post a picture of it. Right. For sure. So yeah. it's very, very any, any one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like, I don't know much about Keandre Miller as a player, but I see him talked about on social media all the time, not necessarily in relation to Tony D, but like, if you ask me to name New York Rangers players, I probably only name like four of them and he'd be one of them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. A, a very notable kind of guy who I would say is like sort of just below Capo Caco and Philip in terms of, uh, in terms of prospects, like he's a, or young mm-hmm. players, like he's a guy people are really excited about. So that's really odd. Um, th- something we were talking about off air before we started recording is just how like anachronistically racist this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like uh, yeah. you, you kind of expect, like we've mentioned it on the show a lot. Like a lot of NHLers are, you guys a lot of nhlers are maga and it shouldn't really be treated as a surprise when they uh show their asses or put their foots in their mouths or whatever else but this one is harsh like it's really on another level this one this one the type of racism of him uh tony d taking the puck off the ice um from that goal and keeping it or hiding it whatever um like i was saying this would be the kind of racism that like Willie O'Ree would have talked about having happened to him. It sounds like a story from Willie O'Ree's career. Yeah. But this happened in January, 2021. Yeah. It happened five days ago. Fuck. Absolutely. Fuck. It's, Um, it is, you know, normally like I don't jump down organizations throats for being kind of more conservative in their approach when it comes to this. And I don't mean like, uh, I don't mean politically conservative. I just mean like waiting to have an incident list and waiting to have all the facts before a decision is made about what to do about a player who's an issue, even mm-hmm. when the issue is as horrendous as this one is. But like, I agree with the people who are like, how did they let it get this far? Yeah. Like if, if he did sure. that, why did they have to wait five more days for him to get into an altercation with Alex Georgiev? Like, why wasn't that? enough Mm -hmm. to fucking with a rookie like that on that kind of level like it just takes me back to the stuff dan carcillo was talking about and uh like it's it's, yeah this is like uh early 2000s ohl hazing level shit it's really not it's really fucking lame actually and like yeah no it's just it's just really horrendous i i wish i had more to say about it but um, not fun was started off as a lighthearted story about a guy getting owned, which I loved um, and turned dark very quickly. So. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't want the consequences for this to just be he's waved and no team wants him. And he just kind of gets blackballed. I mean, like 
the name of the institution in the league that deals with uh, bad hits, suspensions, is the Department of Player Safety. I think this kind of shit should count underneath that. Yeah, I think that's entirely reasonable. I would like to. Yeah. I wonder if they have grounds to terminate his contract. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know because I'm not familiar with how, like, what kind of stuff would vi- would you know? Um, well, yeah. 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 You know what else what they have, kind of legal recourse they have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what would qualify as that unprofessionalism? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I have no idea that I can definitely see an issue where, like, but I can also see an issue where, like, uh, <clears throat> if they are able to do that, where that could get turned around into like the opposite happening, where a guy getting rightfully called out for being a shithead by a teammate could potentially. So I can see why it's why there might not be much more that they can do, but I do suspect that he is not going to get claimed because he did sign a pretty hefty contract. And um, (laughs) based on what I've read about him, most of the league is now out on Tony D'Angelo just because they figure he's not worth it. And it's also worth noting too, like, uh, Micah McCurdy did a great thread today that you can check out on Twitter uh, about D'Angelo from a statistical perspective. And mm-hmm. the guy is just like horrendously porous defensively. Like really? that, that game that, that was alluded to, I believe it was the game that was alluded to in the article. He was on the ice for three goals and they were from what I allegedly like he was at least partially to blame for all three. So, I think it's one thing when you have a guy who's incredibly solid and it's another thing when that that's a shithead. And it's another thing when you have a guy who teams are already kind of like might be questioning at the best of times. And then for him to also just be like, like this is an example of where character actually matters. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that gets bandied around a lot and a lot of people, uh, talk about character and it that it kind of turns into a meme on both sides like people thumbing their nose at the idea of it and then also people being like it's really important but like when it comes to stuff like this like it matters from so many different perspectives it matters from a team building perspective so even just like from the rangers perspective as an asset this is not a good like asset for them to have mm-hmm. but also from like a, a larger or a, a more like macro viewpoint, like the NHL has a vested interest in like not really letting this guy continue to be allowed to be a shithead to everybody all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else happened here? Uh, I think I just wanted to other stuff that I read about this whole, like for context, like uh, I now like Alexander Georgiev. Georgiev. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. He seems amazing. Um we were talking earlier about how he paid tribute to MLK on his mask, but he also distributed like five grand that uh, he fundraised based off of it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, don't know more details beyond that. I've also heard that Chris Crater uh, sounds like a really amazing person and like it's sweet <laughs> it that he punched him in, in the face. Punched him <laughs> in the face. Um, but Chris Crater also apparently told you guys also he learned Russian so he can make like new teammates feel better like feel more at home on the Rangers. Uh, I don't know which teammates exactly, but like sometime in the last 10 years. So, Pan- some, someone. Panarin? I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> I yes. don't know any other Russians that are on this team. Well. And Gordiev. Okay, yeah, Gordiev too, right. Uh, 
Yeah, and try to start a book club with the rest of the Rangers. I'm very curious about what books were on that list, but... I would love to see the reading list for an NHL team's mm-hmm. reading book club. Mm-hmm. I was going to say reading group, but I think reading group has different connotations than book club. <laughs> 12 rules for life. <laughs> There's definitely There have definitely been a bunch of NHLers who have read 12 rules for life. That's a guarantee. Who uh, Who is that player who wanted to go to museums instead of Dublo with the rest of the team? Hamilton. Doogie Hamilton. Doogie Hamilton. Okay, okay. Did you just call him Doogie Hamilton? <laughs> People call him that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. I've never heard that before. Oh, I, that's how I know him better. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I was worried that I was going to get called out for another extremely weird pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a just, row. It was just the way that you said it as if it was like, that's his <laughs> name, that Doogie Hamilton. Um, anyways, yeah, not much more to say about uh, about Tony D, but, uh, you know, RIP. It's the um, last we've heard we'll ever hear of him. I certainly hope so. That would be great yep. if he just uh, disappeared into obscurity. But I, I think what's more likely is that he probably becomes like a Brandon Prest type figure who just becomes more well known for his posts. Oh wait, I have I have the way to play this out. Unfortunately, okay. it's from the Danny All Star Twitter account. Yeah, all right, yeah. But uh, he's just like, okay, I'm pretty sure. Like, this is his source saying this. Uh-huh. I guess Gorgiev told D'Angelo maybe if you didn't need so much mortadella and gabagool, you wouldn't be fat enough to screen your own goalie. <laughs> And D'Angelo told Georgiev he shouldn't be allowed in this country to play in this league because he called him an illegal alien, told him to go back to Mexico. And then Chris Crater steps in, tells him to settle it to settle it down, and Tony chirps Chris about going offside and started and he started chanting Blue Lines Matter, which is kind of creative on Tony's part. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris just loses it. Punch him in the face. <laughs> Ugly scene, honestly. That's so funny. That's really, really <laughs> funny. I, I kind of get bad vibes from this account. I don't know why, but yeah, I, that was hilarious. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. I think it's just because it's I'm surprised that Tony so D long. noted Trump guy is a problem with a Russian. Boo. <laughs> Boo. You. <laughs> I, hate, I hate it. All right. Uh, moving on. We should probably talk a little bit about the Canucks who look much better both on paper and on the ice uh, this week than they did last week. Did you guys catch all of the games against uh, Ottawa and Winnipeg? Caught them all. Yeah, caught them all. I think the, yeah, uh, I saw my, them all. My theory is that they needed those three. Like, I mean, it's an obvious one, but they needed that confidence boost and they remembered that they were good and they just continued to be good against the Jets, who they otherwise would have lost against. Like yeah, they need to be remi- They need to be reminded that they yeah. can actually win games, and then they've fooled themselves into thinking they can do that, and now are <laughs> somehow won another game. And we'll see against Montreal. But yeah, I think I, I think have a I... bit of a hot take that I want to float. Okay, float it. I'm not sure if I totally believe it, but okay. I don't think they looked very good against Ottawa. Like they won. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah oh yeah. no, they looked terrible against Ottawa. They but they... like they were playing poorly and just for beating up an Ottawa because Ottawa has like two good players. Yeah. They played poorly. They played really poorly in, I think, that first game where they got shot, yep. outshot horrendously in the first period. And then they kind of got better as the series went along, where by the by the end of the third game, they were playing like more soundly, it seems yeah. like yeah. to me. But um, it was pretty funny. Way because, better like, two-way. Like, remember how many yeah. breakaways there were at the beginning of this oh, series? Oh, yeah, like- absolutely. <laughs> I remember... Uh, 
how many people were saying like, oh man, like they they can't play like this against any other teams or they're just going to get walloped. And then they came yeah. out against uh, Winnipeg and didn't play like they did against Ottawa. They played much better. I do think that like ultimately, you know, the biggest problem in these early games wasn't the stuff that you would generally expect to be a problem. It was mostly just that specifically the lotto line was getting caved in. And an observation that I wanted to make earlier on in the season, but that I just never got around to for whatever reason was how, like, if you told people at the start of the year that like Hoaglander was going to have three goals by this point and that, you know, he was going to look pretty good and that, you know, Schmidt was going to look pretty good. uh, The goaltending was going to stay mostly pretty solid. I think most people would have been like, oh yeah, then they'll be pretty good. Like they won't, they'll be not bad. Like they might not be as bad as we think they're going to be. If they had knew that all those factors were going to be like, basically that all these sort of questions of like, Oh, is the goaltending going to work out? Are they going to be able to fill the space in their top six? Is the defense going to look okay? If you were going to answer yes to all those questions, most people would be like, Oh, well then maybe they won't be so bad. But then the funny thing was that all of those things were true, but the top six still just completely sucked. And, mm. uh, and they got like really horrendously caved in over those first few games. Top six and special teams. Yeah. And mm. now that they were given all the chances to be good and then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I think now at this point, like we're going to see, you know, basically Winnipeg has to be the blueprint for them, how they played, how they played yeah. against Winnipeg. Like, yeah, that was their best game that they played. Absolutely. But they also, they got bailed out by Demko a couple times. And that's just what is going to be the difference. I think like if they can, now that they're kind of hot again and they're getting offense from uh, Brock Besser and Elias Patterson and JT Miller, um, if they can have a goalie who can bail them out once or twice a night yeah. on plays that should be goals, yeah, then they'll probably win more games that they can, than they lose. The question is just like, can they find that consistency, which I'm still sort of unconvinced but i do think like we've averted disaster now and they should be closer to kind of where we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year which is either just squeak in or just miss Mm -hmm. yeah i still don't think uh any of our goalies like no matter how much they put up like stealing game type performances like tyler myers is so bad (laughs) he might prevent that from from coming up he does look so bad every time something like wrong happens i'm like oh my god and then i like think like oh that was myers again wasn't it like i kind of have face blindness with watching the canucks yeah sure i can watch the play and love it and have no idea who's on the ice sometimes you have neck blindness too i have many many mental illnesses uh so that's that's horrible i mean like remember when nate schmidt uh dived to stop the puck and he didn't just like slide into the corner the way that Myers always has. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, Did you guys see Jay Beagle just like pass the puck directly into the slot to a uh, Winnipeg Jets player as well? Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they've got some issues for sure. But uh, now that we've seen like a, a 10 game sample or maybe even an 11 game sample now, it, it's just like, they're the team that we thought they were going to be right. Like they're fun. Uh, the defense is really problematic. They have the talent to win some nights. Some nights they're probably going to get blown up. Some nights they're going to blow other teams up. But like, you know, 
thankfully they've they've brought themselves back from the brink of disaster there because man where things were at before they started that series against ottawa i, I legitimately like think there may have been changes if they had oh lost dude we games. were we were oh, yeah. right there <laughs> we were <laughs> like like i said like the ownership is pretty reactionary in both ways yes uh it the fact that like friedman and Drance and or I guess not Drance. Drance is trying to put water on it. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, it was national news that yeah. Benning's job is in the line. Like, I mean, I usually before the last couple of years uh, from like getting to know Canucks media better mm-hmm. um, and hockey media, like I used to never like think that those things mattered, like a rumor uh, or, oh, or yeah. like yeah, that that wouldn't actually manifest into like yeah, the guy actually does get fired. But now I believe it because um, mm-hmm. it seems like. Uh, it seems like people get the vibes pretty correctly. Yeah, um, pressure matters for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was fully convinced he was going to get fired if the Ottawa series went bad. But the thing people have to realize, like people on the other uh, side of that ledger as well, like the people have to re- what people have to realize about the Canucks and about Benning is that like now that they're back into their not win, I wouldn't call it a window, but like they're a competitive team again. The Canucks are like probably never going to be bad enough that you can just point to an easy like thing and be like, this is the thing. And now that now the management's going to get fired. Like true, it, true. if and yeah. when it happens and it will happen eventually, it's just a matter of, of like, are they going to get like a run of success, you know, like Gillis did or whatever, like, cause eventually all GMs are fired or move on or whatever. But to me, the, if it's going to happen, it's probably going to be one of those things where like they make it to the end of the season and they were, you know, a few games out of a few wins out of a playoff spot. And then they get fired during the off season. Like mm-hmm. that would be my guess. I would be, yeah, it won't be because of a losing streak. Yeah. And I don't, I just think like, honestly, it would be really stupid for them to fire their GM midway through the season. I think it is wild that they don't, they, they wouldn't even want to just because of COVID because yeah, of like no, the inability exactly. to interview guys like that. I mean, it plays a role for sure. It's funny to think about as a big reason, but I get it. Like, how are you going to hire somebody you can't actually talk to in person? Yeah, it's pretty tough. And you know, like if you look at the, I mean, so I thought the, I thought the reaction to the fire bending stuff from some corners of the media was a bit like disingenuous people saying stuff like, Oh, like if Canucks fans want Jim betting fired because like they had a bad start to the season or whatever. And it's like nobody who no wants, one him fired. wants him fired because of seven losses or seven games. Yeah. Cause it just kept proving stuff we've already been saying, for it, but ever. it is confirmation bias, right? Because like people will just look at a small, sample of games and it's like i i hate to be the both sides do it guy but like both sides do do it they they watch the game and then there's like a couple of bad games and it's fire benning and then there's another group of people who are now saying the fire benning people are stupid because the canucks played like four good games or whatever i mean more like two good games but um and it's just I, i as much as i think that like some of that is disingenuous. If you look at the other candidates that were being floated, like just wait till the end of the season, wait until there's a big, like a large pool of guys you can interview and, and pull from because like the names that were out there. Like is so much better in the off season. 
Absolutely. And like mm-hmm. Mike Fuda mm-hmm. or Dale Talon, like, fuck, if it's going to be Dale Talon, just keep Jim around, please. God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Seriously. Much yeah. better general seriously. manager than, than Dale Talon. We'll accidentally at least get good young players, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, will we ruin their potential uh, or just like squander <laughs> it? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we will. But. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of uh, guys trying to get interviews. Um, with NHL teams. Uh, oh, I thought we were going to talk about my job prospects. Oh, no. <laughs> um, we'll spare you that. Uh, but I guess, so obviously earlier this week, Elliot and I recorded that emergency episode about Brandon Sutter's hat trick. Which was awesome. I, that was that so was, fun to listen. That was the first episode of the show I've actually listened to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite uh, ones that we've done, actually. Like, it was it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun to edit and produce. I was really, really proud of how my greatest game ever played intro drop uh, fit in there. I, I, was, I was very happy about that. But uh, And then I posted it like a day later. And everybody jumped down my throat because they were like, this is the thing you recorded the emergency episode about. But the thing is, is that we are ultimately ostensibly a hockey podcast. We're not just a podcast about posts and stuff that people are talking about online. We're not just about it, but no, but we're the most post show. And what a hockey player posts, that is exactly in our wheelhouse. And certainly, you know, I, I think I, I said this earlier in uh, on Twitter, like, um, back around the time that uh, Michaela Gaudette was a guest on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And I basically was just like, yeah, the broadcast is the official show of WAGs and Roxy Fever is the official show of Sons Who Post. Mm-hmm. And on that note, um, Mike Gillis, <laughs> former Canucks general manager, and his son, Spencer Gil- Gillis, uh, just general... Uh, Canucks Twitter OG and legend. Yeah, Spencer Gillis is an underrated like he's the dark horse of Canucks Twitter. Oh, he rocks. He's so funny. I've he tried to a get a must follow. I've been trying he... for so long to try to get him on the show, but he oh, d- I, I I talked to him and I DM him quite often. I know. I, t- I talk to him uh, like fairly regularly too. It's it's really funny to me that he like talks to us all the time. <laughs> even but, uh, he, he told me even he felt bad that he posted uh, while you're at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh man, that's great. Um, but yeah, like that was a funny day because that was one of the craziest. That was the longest days. day on hockey. <laughs> absolutely and i missed the entire thing like by the time i got home at you know 3 p.m or so like most of the insanity was over but like there was the two big insane like things that happened that day which were one drance getting accused of (laughs) seriously accused of racism which was really really funny jesus Uh, i i won't get into it because it's not worth it for us but yeah absolutely not no and then this spencer gillis thing which for those of you that missed it uh, mike gillis former general manager of the canucks uh his son spencer posted a what appeared to be like a leaked powerpoint presentation or like some sort of presentation uh from gillis to the pittsburgh penguins like inquiring about the the vacancy at the gm position that they have right now and like laying out his sort of vision and his uh qualifications and everything um which is i mean first of all i guess i'll just ask like what do you guys think of this move (laughs) for him to post it yeah 
I I don't know why he posted it. I I I won't ask him qu- these questions yeah, about it. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it. Um, I I just I loved the Vertanen tweet afterwards. Oh, what was that? <laughs> like Spence. Oh, so Spencer after he posted it and deleted it, uh-huh. he posted um, whoops, sorry, sat on my phone with a bunch of emojis, and it was exactly the same tweet as Jake Vertanen posted after he apologized for. Uh, Posting something kind of rude on like Mirko Miller's or Mirko Miller's. Uh, oh, that's Instagram. so funny. That's really, really funny. And it's like a that. real deep cut. Um, yeah. But again, Spencer's an OG. So he's an OG. He yeah, I do. love that. I love that he is as into Canucks brainworm minutia as we are. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. great. <laughs> no, I, I am so like, again, I won't ask him because like, I don't want to be the guy who keeps asking somebody about their dad when I like, like <laughs> the guys by themselves, like on their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, by the way, his like reasoning for why he didn't want to come on the show is because he's just like, well, I'm happy to come on the show when I have something yeah. to talk about yeah. that is about me yes. rather than yeah. just my dad. And I was yeah. like, you know yeah. what? That's reasonable, but also like, <laughs> He, the thing I think the thing he doesn't like quite realize is that it's like no dude like just come on the show and we'll watch like young blood or something like you don't have to talk about <laughs> oh, yeah, anything absolutely. that matters but no. I do I do get it you know we should just try to get away with not mentioning his last name at all just like a yeah. Spencer he the, the thing is like yeah okay he doesn't you wouldn't want to talk about his dad but he talks about his dad a lot on, it's so on true I know <laughs> like, He's kind of asking for it. Everyone. Oh, yeah, 100%. So circling back to the actual presentation, though, I think it's actually a pretty smart move because having read the whole thing, mm-hmm. on one hand, like, if you're a real Canucks head and, like, a real Gillis head, as some yeah. people on Canucks Twitter is, probably yeah. are, yeah, nothing in it was surprising, really. No, most of it was his radio hits. Like, all of it all really... Hits. Yeah, it's radio hits, and it follows from sort of what people assume Gillis's philosophy is. But I actually think it's pretty clever because now all of a sudden everyone's talking about Mike Gillis, especially in relation to an open GM job, which people mostly and people don't weren't do. necessarily were people necessarily weren't talking about that before, but now they are more. So I think it actually mm-hmm. was a pretty strong move. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see his name like land back into that sort of like. Uh, ring of, of names that, back. that people are always talking about. <laughs> oh man, oh, Mike Gillis, Mike Gillis Landback will uh, join the pantheon of stupidest bits that have ever been done on the show. Right next to Dan Cluche kicked my dog. <laughs> Subscribe to the Patreon, everybody. Um, okay, Please. so I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read the relevant quote here because I think it it is a good sort of window into like. I really do think Mike Gillis was an excellent, excellent general manager. And I think that this quote here really outlines like why, which is that he's very thoughtful and reflective in a way that most people in hockey just simply are not. He's mm-hmm. very interested in incorporating viewpoints and systems from outside of hockey to improve it. And I also think it's worth noting that really the only thing now with the benefit of hindsight and being able to see the results of everything that he did really the only thing he was bad at was not firing Ron Delorme, which, yeah, yeah. you know, there were two general managers in place before him who could have done that and also didn't, but yeah, we blame him specifically. And it's, it's sort of one of those things where like 
the scouting department was bad for years before he got there and didn't really ever change until the uh, directive from ownership was to come in and change the, the scouting department. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you look at those Ron DeLorme drafts or whatever, and like most of them were dog shit. And most of the ones that Gillis was at the helm for, they didn't even have like first round picks in like three of those drafts. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things. And when they did finally have a first round pick, like later it ended up being Bo Horvat, you know? And yeah. like, I think you can, you can quibble with like, you know, Cody Hodgson. That was a, that was a fine pick. Like it didn't work out. Oops. Um, Brandon Gaunt's like with a fucking 26th overall pick or whatever. Like, it's not that horrendous. It's, it was mostly that they couldn't. Extract. It's not great, but it works. Yeah, exactly. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's mostly that they couldn't extract value out of those middle rounds, which is like they were very bad at it. But the margins there are like fairly. The difference between good and bad is quite small. And like I said, the guy who was the head of the scouting department had been there for years and years and years and was really well liked in the organization. Mm-hmm. And so like. I think there's a case to be made that he deserves a second chance in that department, considering how good he was at everything else. And considering the fact that GMs generally tend to really empower their, their uh, scouting department. So even if this is like a blind spot for Gillis that he sucks at, he could go out and hire somebody who would be very good at it. Mm -hmm. Like say, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe Dred Brackett or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Gillis was GM. uh, Like he inherited a team that was already, very close to being a contender. Yeah. And like he was a contender GM and never really got the chance to rebuild the team. Like we don't know what it look he looks like. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. And I think it's if a he was the guy who was point. smart enough to cl- figure out that you should probably trade a random guy who's not going to be around next year for a draft pick. Yeah. And that's exactly. the reason why the Canucks have got it. That's right. That's true. And he also uh you know try allegedly I mean I shouldn't even say allegedly like it's been confirmed by um reputable sources they're just not the kind of sources that usually confirm things like this about the nhl but he pitched a rebuild to ownership the year before they fucking like ate shit and hired john tortorella or whatever and ownership wouldn't go for it so like he saw the writing on the wall and i think i just think like there's reason to believe that he deserves another shot over all kinds of other guys that have had three or four other shots and had worse results when they were GMs. But anyways, I'll, uh, I'll just read this uh, quote real quick. Cause I think it's very illuminating here throughout my time with the Canucks. I took responsibility for decisions that were made, whether they were good ones or bad ones. I had to reconcile in my mind, my role and why I got fired and why my friends got fired. That took a bit of time. Then I went off and kind of metaphorically went back to school. I pursued all the things that we started with the Canucks from scouting to fatigue management to human performance. I met the best people in the world doing it and found it fascinating to continue along the trend of analytics and science and how you get the most amount out of people. At the end of the day, I should have done things differently than I did in certain circumstances. And I recognize that it's one of the reasons that I'm after the notions of alignment, vision, and a forward thinking type of process or environment. You can avoid pitfalls by having a more well-rounded thoughtful opportunity. I know that this is kind of a funny thing to suggest and like would never happen with the current management structure, but like considering that Jim Benning sucks at virtually everything except drafting and scouting and that Mike Gillis was really good at everything except drafting and scouting. 
and that the Canucks don't have a president of hockey operations and that Mike Gillis was not well liked and Jim Benning is well liked. There's a part of me that is just like, just fucking airdrop this guy back into the president of hockey operations mm-hmm. role and mm-hmm. like see mm-hmm. if it'll work <laughs> because mm-hmm. it just seems like the rest of the league doesn't want to give him a shot. And I don't know why. It's a very good, it's a very good question. I, yeah. I'm really curious to hear from other people also about that. <clears throat> I mean, like obviously you, you can figure out where it starts with him going up against Alan Eagleson and all that stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, a, there's a like, the other thing too, is sure. that allegedly he just rubbed everyone the wrong way with his whole, like we're the smartest team. And his yeah. sort of egghead, uh, apo- uh, approach to everything I think did definitely run or uh, rub some people the wrong. But, but like at a certain point, is he not the Billy Bean of hockey? Sort of, in a lot of ways. Right. Like, yeah, I can't think of I think a it's better like a tragic figure who's like never gets to actually get given the job again. I have no, I don't know anything about Billy Bean besides <laughs> Moneyball. Well, um, Benny, B- Billy Bean is just still in Oakland, Oakland, and they've never won a pennant. Mm. Which, oh. yeah, I don't know. I mean. It's, it's but that's funny, also because like, baseball is extremely fucked up, and yeah. it's the most pay-to-play sport in North it America. Absolutely, as I'm reading uh, Bad Sports, the book that Georgia got me by Dave Zirin, and uh, it's excellent for just seeing how fucked up ownership and like money is in baseball and everything. If you it's follow a- any guys who are also baseball fans, like they're constantly yelling about how like three teams are trying to win, and everyone else is just tanking constantly. Yeah, yeah, mm. and I buy it. And that's kind of part of the reason why I struggle to get into baseball, even though it's it is actually quite fun. Anyways, do you guys want to move on to our Rex. our friend Rex? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yep. So uh to close things out today, uh there is a there's been a sort of brewing uh story online that hasn't really gotten much attention from the hockey world, but has like it, it made quite a lot of noise in right-wing media, which is this campaign started by uh, the Rebel. It's a petition, and I'm sure it's tongue-in-cheek. But What are they rebelling uh, against? They seem cool. <laughs> it's a, uh, a petition to name Don Cherry to the vacant governor general spot. So, Vias, you feel like a good person that, to just like, for people who aren't familiar <laughs> with the Rebel, what's the Rebel? Oh, uh every u.s right-wing clown ass website um combined into one because canada is a small country uh that's what the rebel is um they just they're they're behind every every uh this is cancel culture media narrative um ezra levant who runs it is uh (laughs) Oof. how do i how do i say stuff without being able i think to... the most polite way of putting it is that ezra levant like got a giant bulk discount with from godaddy for like ten thousand domain names and is using every single one of them to create another right-wing agitprop uh petition yeah, yeah. or whatever enough. he's he's very much like canadian tucker carlson his, yeah. but much more terminally online than Tucker Carlson. Yes, is. and yeah. his website, yeah. but his website reminds me a lot of like Daily Caller for Canada. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's what yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's probably between Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro. Do you? Yes, absolutely. It, it, that's a great. Yeah, yeah, and he's always filing lawsuits that like really yeah. fuck over my friends. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, yeah. Did um, you know that? Uh, you guys know Faith Goldie. Course, yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Um, I was going to ask if. The rebel was the guys who gave uh, Lauren Southern her start, but they actually gave Faith Goldie her. She was with them for a while. Right. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you you also know uh, who else gave something to Faith Goldie? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, no. Our prime minister. Oh, how 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 so? Uh, it's it's a it's an open secret in Ottawa. Wow, really? Yeah, about <laughs> ten and, years ago or so. And, and you're allowed to just say this? <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I just said what I said. That's all. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying to see if there's a date here. It doesn't look. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's a. It says what the date is uh for his uh that this was posted which is too bad because i'd love to know like when this started but um the 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 i am gonna read the copy for the uh petition because it's funny to me um so petition don jerry is a petition okay yeah there's a real petition on the on the rebel uh site uh, that says petition Don Cherry for governor general. There is nobody more dignified and worthy of filling the historic and noble, noble role of governor general than Don Cherry, Jesus Christ. Um, and then, so the copy here is, it's very short. Uh, governor general Julie Payette and her secretary, Asunta Di Lorenzo are stepping down after the release of an independent workplace review sh- showed that the two were responsible for creating a toxic work environment. This is the perfect opportunity to have a real patriotic Canadian fill her role. And who better than Don Cherry? Don Cherry represents the epitome of being Canadian. He's a loyal monarchist, perhaps the most loyal monarchist in the co- in the country, which says county, which is funny. Um, so there's a typo in here. But I do just want to add, I feel like I've mentioned this on the show before, but when Don Cherry used to like work construction or some fucking thing, he worked with all these Irish Catholics and he would just show up with like a union Jack on his uh, helmet constantly to just fucking harass them. That's how much of a fucking prick Don Cherry is <laughs> that he's a fucking mon. Like that is how right wing Don Cherry is a are monarchist. Like he has even like, how do you want to be a monarchist? Like, you're just admitting that you think you're inferior to some, like, inbred Habsburg wannabe. <laughs> it's so cocked. Is, like, is it gay? <laughs> uh, anyways, um, and he upholds our Canadian values. Unlike Payette, he represents what it means to be Canadian. There is nobody more dignified and worthy of filling this historic and noble role for Canadians than Don Cherry. If you agree, sign this petition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, from what I can tell, that's... Uh, you know, it, it only has something like like it hasn't even reached the goal of 5000 signatures. I'll say that much. Um, and it didn't seem like it was really gaining that much traction in the hockey world. But right wing like Canadian media is talking about it all the time. And there's like it's trending on Twitter, like fairly regularly. So I guess it's a thing. Have you guys heard anything about it? Not none whatsoever. I literally thought Max Pointy was just responding to nothing. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been a bunch of articles from like every, every media website is like, oh, what if Celine Dion was the governor general? <sighs> and yeah. it's like, they're all just like fun, like, I mean, trying to be fun pieces. Um, and so that's I thought- pathetic. Could you imagine trying to make like a fake campaign to get some like stupid famous person to be uh, governor general instead of Don Cherry? Like, what a bunch of assholes would do that? <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, uh, uh, <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I didn't think much of this campaign, but apparently a uh, friend of the show, Rex Murphy, does because he decided to devote uh, column space in the National Post to it um, two days ago as of date of recording. Um, and I know I told you guys not to uh, read this because I wanted to read it to you on the show. And it is like I have not hated something that i've read for the show 
this much since probably the last time I read a Rex Murphy article about Don Cherry. Um, I fucking hate this so much. I just like, could you imagine explaining to an American who Rex Murphy is and showing them a photo of this man? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. He's literally indistinguishable from the Royal Canadian Air Force parody of him. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He literally looks like a ghoul. It's, I feel like Rex Murphy, like just um, putting his name into Google images. I genuinely feel like it's just a randomly generated, like who's the most (laughs) famous right wing Canadian media guy, like image, like, okay. So I'm going to read this one to you. It's called Rex Murphy. No, Don Cherry can't be governor general. He likes people. So I have to admit that I'm not super familiar with like what happened with the, okay. So why don't we just start from the beginning here for our American and non or just generally non-Canadian listeners. What does the governor governor general do? What's the deal with the governor general? Cause this is a thing that even I have a hard time explaining because it's like one of the dumbest, most made up jobs it, across all of politics, but it's fairly unique to Canada. Is it well, unique it's, to Canada? No. It's it's unique to Commonwealth countries, I guess, yeah. is what I should yeah. say. Yeah. So like Australia and New Zealand also have one. Oh, I kind of I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. actually know that. So fair enough. I'm, that I'm, does make Australia sense. Australia is in kind of in the process of republicanizing. Word. Um, because they are not cucked to a bunch of Habsburgs. <laughs> yeah. But, um so basically in a parliamentary system, I don't know why I'm answering this not the hospital. No, bro, I actually um, don't know if I could answer it. Properly. <laughs> yeah, you, you could probably ed- answer it better than Vias. Okay, so officially, yeah. like the king or the queen in this case is in charge of the country, but over a couple of different things that have happened, like I don't know, a bunch of lords rebelling because they were mad about grain taxes or some bullshit. Sure, <laughs> they've had to devolve power to parliament, and then this has been taken to the point where the queen just hangs out and I don't know does racism to Meghan Markle. Um, yeah, it doesn't have time for boring things like deciding who should be prime minister, mm-hmm. especially not in all these stupid colonies. So she hires someone to be the governor general who, and the governor general is the person who ultimately decides who's prime minister. If we can have an election, um, that's about it. So yeah, for, no, that's pretty much it. Um, Julie Payette, I think. Yes, her last that's name? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was momentarily confused with Cedric Paquette. Um, <laughs> Cedric Paquette for uh, Julie the Entertainer. Julie- <laughs> I hate that so much. Um, apparently fostered a extremely toxic work environment at Rideau Hall, which is where the Governor General lives. Yeah. Um, she would accost random staffers and ask them space facts, and then bully them that she had been to space and they hadn't. <laughs> okay, that rocks. <laughs> That's really funny. Like, I know that, that, okay. That's like that's probably shitty, but like that, that kind of rocks to know that there's people who have been to space and that they there do was that an investigation. People. And like, she apparently was actually responsible for creating a very toxic work environment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. My brain is broken by the internet. So all I remember is that she would bully people about having been to space and by asking them space facts that they would get wrong. And she would know because she's an astronaut. That is so funny. I'm sorry. That's like, I get that she probably sucked and that she was uh, like uh, abusive to her staff or whatever, but being like, 
oh hey uh do you know is, is space pluto a planet and then yeah. people are just be like yeah sure why not sure, and yeah. you're like wrong it's a dwarf planet yeah like it, try just, going to space once in a while it'd be funny if if she just asked fairly basic like grade 10 astronomy questions that like you don't have to go to space to know but just as a way of her to flex on people that she you know did she unless she went to like the moon or something like <laughs> is that even really that impressive like there's a great uh paul wells and mclean's uh uh <laughs> decent columnist over there uh he had a great take where i'm just gonna read this one sentence out justin trudeau appointed payette probably less of a trailblazer than most of her predecessors except she had been in space and political science majors are always amazed by somebody who can do math <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> funny yeah all right so on that note that. Um, I guess I have a little bit more context for some of uh, the the shittiness in this article or some of the things that you said. But the problem with the problem with Rex Murphy is that like he is as inside baseball with his references as we are, but he has a column in a national newspaper. And so like his columns are often as completely fucking unintelligible to people <laughs> like us as our show was. <laughs> <laughs> um and so That's a great way to put it i can't i can never quite understand like if he's trying to do a bit or where he's trying to come from but like i think the idea here is that julie payette was a real uh not nice person and that you know he's trying to contrast don cherry with uh with her but like it it, it just fails really miserably so i'm just going to start it off for you don cherry is not going to be governor general he has too many personal characteristics going against him Obviously, I need to back such a categorical statement up. Well, that would be the first time, Rex. Um, he is old. Got him. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> he is old. He is even more old than I am. And I first breached the wall of being sometime during the Babylonian captivity. <sighs> Shut up. That, that, that sounds like something JD would say. I know. It's such a bad Europe joke. Europe universe, <laughs> motherfuckers. As Elliot, what did you call it? Colonialism Simulator? <laughs> yeah, Colonialism Simulator 4. It's a great game. Yeah, yeah I, I, wish I, I genuinely wish I was smart enough to play that game. It's so hard. Don was born when they were working up the blueprints for Tutankhamun's tomb. Ugh. And in this modern day world, we know from many sources, especially Twitter, old is bad so this is another son of a bitch writing about <laughs> fucking twitter trolls in a national paper i hate <laughs> it so much i you really do realize though that the reason why these like old right-wingers hate twitter so much is because it's the first time in their you life their shtick it's well but it's also the first time in their life that they've ever had to hear from people that they're fucking morons yes yeah it's the, yeah it's the first time they've had to listen to like being criticized by people they consider less than them exactly yeah they sit in their little they're stuck in their little enclaves and you know everybody just jerks each other off and there's not really yeah. a lot of like there's criticism or there's like disagreements but they're all sort of like procedural and performative rather than like people just being like hey rex your hair makes you look like a fucking asshole <laughs> but the disagreements are also from people who they fundamentally do respect as their equals whereas yeah. with twitter it's like to them just like a banging horde of like the peasants are revolting. Serfs. The peasants are the peasants are always revolting, but this time they're rebelling. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. All right. He likes people. Well, that's a deal breaker right there. 
This is an obstacle too far for any elite position in Canadian society. It is only acceptable to like people on your own social plane. Indiscriminate liking of people, regardless of background or rank, shows a lack of clash and a lavish sense of pure hospitality. Now, the funny thing about this is that at a glance, Rex is correct, but he's making this case on behalf of Don Cherry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You like, could be saying this about anybody else, but all of this, all of this falls apart as soon as you realize what person he's making this case for. But we'll get to that more in a minute. Um, he is friendly even to strangers and brace yourselves has even been known to say kind words to waiters, housekeeping staff in hotels and taxi drivers. I would like to hear what this man has said to taxi drivers. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know what these kind words are. I mean, I do believe him that Don Cherry probably is much nicer to all of those people than Rex Murphy is. Yeah, probably the yeah. National Post columnist. I do believe that. And the thing, too, with um, with Don Cherry is that, like, if you talk to people who know him or have associated with him or even just his, like, general reputation, he is known as, like, a guy who has time for all his fans and is like very gregarious in person and i have no reason not to believe that but it, it's also just like how you behave publicly matters gregarious means good yeah He's it's friendly. like friendly and outgoing you know and i did not know that <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> whatever it does not sound like a nice thing you know he suffers from a terrible affliction which would be vigorously out of place in rideau hall he loves canada and the people who built Canada. So apparently Rex's thesis here is that uh, the governor general can't like Canada. <laughs> governor general can't like the help. But I mean, I, I mean, that part I kind of understand because like I understand the idea of like, oh, yeah, elite Canadian society won't want Don Cherry or won't want like a guy who who will, you know, uh, talk to people from a lower class and the, I can see the mental gymnastics there. Like the right. idea that everyone's so much of an elitist that, but the idea that like the governor general wouldn't want to, wouldn't be the kind of person to performatively love Canada. Like all the fucking politicians do that. Mm -hmm. They all yeah. want to project this image of like loving Canada so much. Like I, that's fucking stupid. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever read mm -hmm. in my entire life. Were that enough, and in these woke times, it is more than enough. He also, brace yourself again. God, this writing is so fucking, like, overwrought. Tedious. <laughs> like, these articles, by the way, are mostly written as Rex Murphy's calling the editor. Yeah. And just saying the article. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, man. I could fucking do this job so easily. Like... <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It's so frustrating. Like, I know it's the easiest job in the world. It really fucking is. And I know that because like when I was editing, which is one of the hardest jobs in media to do, um, this was the kind of shit, the only kind of shit I had energy or time for because you could just like fire off the cuff, like some, some takes yeah. or whatever, like shit that actually has to be well-researched and shit that actually like involves reporting and talking to sources and shit. Like that's at least that's tough actual work like this yeah. is just fucking a joke but and i say that as somebody who does it sometimes so all right were that enough and in these woke times there's more than enough he also braced herself again loves the canadian military every man and woman who wears the uniform every man and woman who has worn the uniform yes if there's one thing we know about canadian politicians it's that they 
absolutely can't flagellate themselves before the <laughs> military and like say positive things about it. It's not like the head of the nominally left wing party in Canada had to post post fucking pictures of how his grandpa fought for the fucking Raj in World War One mm-hmm. to try to get like respect from these fucking people mm-hmm. like I, when I first read this, I lost my fucking mind like the idea just like I know I know that this is how these people talk. But just like the idea that there's this conspiracy by the Canadian government to shit on the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Most people of highest character, especially in journalism, admired Christy Blatchford. Okay, citation needed. Yeah. Who, in my view, and I know her, possessed the highest character in journalism. So just... Uh... Uh, no, she did not have the <laughs> highest character in journalism. Also interesting that Max Mert fuck what's this guy's name rex murphy admits that he's a ghoul because he knows christy blashford (laughs) (laughs) that's very good yeah uh just some greatest hits from uh christy blashford's um career in journalism can you guys think of any uh um the day after jack layton died she said good uh she said good riddance. I can find the exact quote. Myself. Sure, yeah. <laughs> what? I mean, I also said the uh, same thing, but... Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, personally, I actually think that making fun of politicians after they die is cool and good, but she did it for the shitty wrong reasons, not mm-hmm, the good mm-hmm, ones. Mm-hmm. And also, like, okay, bar is on the floor, but, like, Jack Layton, far from one of the worst politicians in Canadian yeah, history. Yeah, like, I mean... It, in terms of federal leaders over the last 20 years, like not terrible, not, not, not terrible. terrible, not bad. Yeah. Yeah, like, not that bad. Top couple, top couple few. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her exact words was on the day that he died, even on Saturday, the quote here is even on Saturday, two days before he died, he managed to keep a gimlet eye on all the campaigns to come. The letter is full of sophistry as we can restore a good name of the world as though it is a given Canada's never lost bumper sick and slogans of of the love is better than anger ilk and ruthlessly partisan politicking. Um, and then she ends it with the letters vainglorious too. Yeah. Jeez. Just like as someone who famously got in trouble for like, you know, making fun of a politician the day or two that he died. Yeah. I, there's a time and a place to criticize people like that. Yeah. And I'm going to go with the place is politicians who relentlessly campaign for war and immiseration. Yeah. And you probably shouldn't criticize the guys who've been, fighting for you know a moderately better world which i think is our <laughs> yeah. criticism of jack layton is how moderate he was yeah moderately doing mm. a lot of work in that sentence but <laughs> i think the big thing the big thing for me is just that like it reveals the hypocrisy of the whole thing because it's like for sure they it's just one of those things where it's like okay if you're gonna whine about civility then you can't you can't do you this. can't say shit like that right my the one that i remember from christy blatchford's career is her uh like harassing the family of Retea Parsons after Retea Parsons was for sure, and that is much more heinous than thing that teenager I teenager that committed suicide because she was being sexually harassed by all these random people online, and then she just like said a bunch of horrendous things about Retea Parsons in the media and stuff. She's Christy Blatchford, not someone who is well respected in media, actually, at least not by anybody worth listening to, but. Christy Blatchford admired and loved Don Cherry. Wow, big surprise. This may be one of the strongest reasons why Don Cherry will never ascend to the purple cushions. Being one of the very few people the sternly independent Christy Blatchford admired might very 
well not go over at all in the curious upper echelons of Canadian politics where the choice of GG is made. God, this is written like shit. Okay, next one up. He is a man. Speaks for itself. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Dude's rock. Dude's rock. You know what? You tell him, Rex. You're right. <laughs> this one I agree with. Um, he would take the role with infinite seriousness. Yes. No, he every, wouldn't. Because every other governor general like shows up in a fucking clown car with 13 other clowns. It would be fucking- really really funny for the queen the throne speech to like be on a seven second delay (laughs) (laughs) that'd be cool i would say all the names he would butcher in the crown speech or the speech (laughs) of the throne yeah jackson we need we need uh your therapist needs to tell you to stop reading the national post (laughs) (laughs) no one would take the position with more feeling for what it should represent belief in and respect for canada and canadians I have listed some of his minor disqualifications. There are more serious ones. Okay, this is my absolute favorite, so just get ready for this. He is incapable of tantrums towards those, quote, lower than he is. Yes, if there's one thing that I think of when I hear people talk about Don Cherry, it's incapable of tantrums. He already had the ceremonial job of being governor tantrums. (laughs) Yeah. Paid. Hosting Coach's <laughs> Corner is probably a more important ceremonial role in Canada than the <laughs> Governor General. That's right. That's correct. That. That's absolutely correct. As fun as it would be to see him show up and sit on the purple cushions, except like there's a suit cut out of them, like it's the Grinch who stole Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, <laughs> he will tackle equals with the fury of a Wolverine, but would never harass or humiliate those in a serving category. I mean, like, I know what was his remembrance day meltdown then. I, d- I don't want to like just rehash a tweet that I made earlier this week, but like the, I like ask, I don't know, nail Yakupov or Chris Nylon or women in dressing rooms or, uh, people who believe in global warming about like Don Cherry's uh, inability to have tantrums and see what they have to say about it. For all his fame, he does not think he is better than those who do not have fame. He has skipped all the books that say, because you are a name, you can be rude and cruel to the anonymous person trying his or her best to please you. Oh, man. So, like this guy fucking. Do you think this guy like. Do you think Rex watches hockey or wa- had watched nope. a Coach's Corner segment in the last like 20 years? He watched the one Don Cherry got fired for because he needed to write a column. I think yeah. he only watches Coach's Corner. He doesn't watch the hockey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He's like that kind of sicko. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't like to make underlings cry, and he would weep himself if inadvertently he ever did. Jesus Christ, man. This is like, do you guys remember that? Lenny letter article that was like Hillary Clinton is life itself. Yes. No, I don't hurt myself like that. (laughs) Well, I remember people yelling about it. This is just like, this is where people who make fun of liberals like need to, I mean, like obviously liberals, you should make fun of them, but like conservatives do all the same insane hero worship fan fiction shit that liberals do too. Like this seems this is incredibly close to like the kind of fawning bullshit uh like profile and vanity fair that would be written about kamala harris you know what i mean yeah i also think it's really telling how much mac how much rex murphy has like gone back to the well of people less than him 
I know. Yeah. Because like, that's a, it constantly reiterates that he just has this extremely hierarchical worldview, which somehow has Rex Murphy and Don Cherry on the top of it, which is just so <laughs> funny to me. Oh, if this man. is a hierarchy you're defending, what good is it to anyone in the real world? <laughs> All right. He has a kind heart, loves the country, is not a snob. He performs his charity in private without publicity. He is loyal to his friends. And as much as any hockey star, he symbolizes the Canadian game. For something like 30 years, Hockey Night in Canada was Don Cherry Night in Canada. Yeah, that was his problem. <laughs> He has never received the Order of Canada, the most famous Canadian who hasn't. That's funny. That is very funny that he never got that. I hope he never gets it. That'll be really funny. I hope, you know what? I hope he gets it so that it tarnishes the meaning of the Order of Canada. Actually, that would be good. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Um, He hasn't been to space, at least that we know of. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) Um I trust that even this summary to which many more items could be added is sufficient to make the case that this is not a person we want in the governor general's robes. Please keep him out of Rideau Hall. Don Cherry for PM, maybe. Don Cherry for GG, no go, not at all. He'll be just too damn good for the job. I I will say Rex Murphy, like nobody can write this article but Rex Murphy. Absolutely not. And Conrad Black. Yeah. But Conrad Black is more angry. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, and Conrad Black wouldn't care about this, I don't think. No, but yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I hated this so fucking much, so I had to share it with everyone else. But, um, you know, there are other candidates that could be considered. Um, other candidates that are celebrities, maybe even other candidates from the world of hockey. And I will say that Don Cherry is not the only person to have a high profile falling out with Ron McLean that should be considered for the role of governor general. Mm. Jackson, yes. should I just read out the copy? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. So Much like how we've started the last two episodes with Vios going off. I think we're going to move towards the close of this episode with Vios <laughs> just monologuing. All right. Absolutely. <clears throat> so to, just to preface here, um, I know that, myself in particular not not so much anymore i've kind of faded into the background a little bit of canucks twitter which i like it that way it's been a lot nicer um being somebody with a podcast with a like few hundred listeners than it was manning the uh you know manning the post at like one of the most read uh canucks blogs because um that was just more of a headache than it was worth i guess but um you know, I know I'm uh, somewhat of a controversial figure still on Canucks Twitter, but I think that this has the potential to unite a lot of Canucks fans. And I yeah. hope that anyone listening to this who might have some things about me that they don't like can put that aside for the greater good, because I really think that we have an opportunity here this uh, to to really stick it to Don Cherry, to Rex Murphy, to Ron McLean, to Hockey Night in Canada, to all uh, all kinds of people who have wronged us as Canucks fans over the past decade. And I do just want to say that this petition from Re- the Rebel only has like 3,690 signatures. So with that in mind, I feel like we can beat it and instill a real Canadian hockey legend as Governor General. So I'll, I'll let you take it away, Vyas. Got it. Uh, we'll say this will hopefully be the only 
or th this will be the first time that something that we make will hopefully be like in the news. Let's hope. <laughs> let's hope. Get us in the news, guys. Come on. Mm, all right. We need we need all of our. I, this is a thing I say. I don't think I've ever said it on the show before, but I say it in private all the time. Roxy Fever listeners, there may not be many of them, but you guys are like the 300 Spartans. <laughs> yeah. And if we direct our army of trolls towards this one goal, if this is the only thing I ever do with my life, I'll, I will die a happy man. So take it away, Vias. Jackson, Elliot, fans, listeners, a specter haunts the criminal Canadian settler state. Specter of vacancies in the office of Governor General. This power vacuum left behind by the resignation of Julie Payette cannot stand and puts the, the state at risk of a takeover from radical extremists, i.e., people from Rosedale, or blue collar, blue collar working class fascists, uh, like guys <laughs> named Gord Gamp, who own skeeter dealerships, say they're working class, but drive 200K chromed out F 150s and who own the Black King Canada jersey. <laughs> Canadians cannot accept five years of undemocratic rule by such demagogues or another five years of inbred descendants of the family compact. Instead, Canada needs ceremonial leadership from celebrated figures who can speak both official criminal languages, have a deep relationship with the forgotten West, have a long storied history of legal experience, particularly around criminal law, and who have experience representing the state on the world stage. That figure is none other than Alexandre Menard Burroughs of Pincourt, Quebec. Hell yeah. Burroughs is the beloved former forward of the Vancouver Canucks NHL franchise, of course, uh, the biggest underdog success story in league history, arguably. <laughs> and with two seasons spent playing for the Ottawa Senators, he is a natural fit at Rideau Hall. He knows how to drive there, probably. As legendary Canucks sports writer Jason Botchford once described him, Burroughs is what hockey is all about. At least he was here in Vancouver. More than any other athlete in more than any athlete in recent memory, he understood us, this city, and we got him. We marveled at a straight out of the ECHL backstory. We deified his Dragon Slayer goal, and we christened his spot. Or we cherished his spot in Sidian's lore. Burroughs is also a fluent French speaker. He's willing to take, and he is willing to take an English proficiency test for his for the position. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Burroughs also has legal experience, despite having been maligned by the criminal courts of the NHL Department of Player Safety and the cult of Ron McLean. Burroughs has stood strong against their injustices, inspiring abolitionism in Canada from sea to sea to sea. Burroughs also has an international pedigree as a member of the International Ball Hockey Hall of Fame in Switzerland, and he was named the International Player of the Year at the 2005 World Championships in Pittsburgh. These accolades prove Alexander Burroughs' Burroughs's capabilities in their world stage, something that noted xenophobe Don Terry could never speak to. <laughs> uh, also, uh, Alex Burroughs would have a much better relationship with Sweden, <laughs> so we urge the trudeau crime family to move forward in a warlike effort to install alexander menard burroughs the best candidate for the settler state ceremony leader and we promise we will not coordinate with him publicly to engage in the dismantling of said state uh <laughs> or, i mean we, he will bring honor or whatever back to rideau hall uh, thank you <laughs> Woo! Bravo. That's it for us. <laughs> yep, that is the first and last time we will endorse uh, like procedural parliamentarianism. Candidate. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right, everybody. Take a bite out of hate. Vote Alex Burroughs for governor general. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have actually made a change.org petition for this. Yes. Please, please sign it. Twitter. 
please share it. I will include the link in the episode description and um, it'll be by the time this episode goes up, there will be a tweet, uh, probably multiple tweets about it. Yeah. Um, please share. Please share this one. Please, please. If, if you only uh, uh, we've like never we done any much. plugging, we don't ask for much from our listeners except five dollars a month uh, to patreon.com slash roxy fever which gets you uh one heritage minute per month um other than that we don't ask for anything um <laughs> so please do me a solid on this one um alex burrows for governor general let's make it happen in the meantime you can follow me on twitter at felson mcdonald and me at Vyasaren. and me at moose kayak and uh don't forget to follow the pod at roxy fever and in the uh in the meantime you can direct your hate mail to at national post on twitter because motherfucker rex murphy doesn't have a twitter account but you can bet that if he ever does i'm gonna send my army of 300 spartans after him (laughs) good night and good luck god i I think one of the most evil things to have happen is whoever todd jackson had to read (laughs) (laughs) it gives him so much pain i'm so sad